Thank you for listening to the Tony's Takes podcast. Be sure to follow on all social media at Tony's Takes underscore. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Tony's Takes. I'm your host, Tony. Today, we're going to be talking about the Atlantic Division's offseason, their head coaching signings, their additions, and their losses. To start it all off, we're going to talk about the Philadelphia 76ers. Let's jump right into it. So, as everybody knows, the 76ers had one of, if not the biggest question marks heading into this offseason, Mr. Ben Simmons. After his series against Atlanta, everybody was calling for him to be traded immediately. The Sixers have been continuously exploring trade options, but can't seem to find anything because they want a freaking arm and a leg for Ben Simmons. Just to put into perspective exactly what they want, they asked the Golden State Warriors for Andrew Wiggins, James Wiseman, the 7th and the 14th pick in this year's draft, and two future first-rounders. I mean, he's not James Harden, ladies and gentlemen. That's pure blasphemy from Philly's front office. A trade package I see more fair and really beneficial for both sides is Ben Simmons and Seth Curry to the Pacers in exchange for Malcolm Brogdon, TJ Warren, and two future first-rounders. Philly gets a great defensive guard who can shoot the three-ball on an efficient level, 38%, and is a low-turnover playmaker who averaged six assists on two turnovers in Malcolm Brogdon. They also get TJ Warren, who two seasons ago had a career year. Yes, last year he had an injury-riddled season, but the year prior to that, he shot 50, 40, and 80% from the line. Those numbers are insane. And that's while averaging almost 20 points per game, 19.8 to be exact. Philly gets their shooting, length, and defense through this trade. While Brogdon might be a slight downgrade defensively from Ben Simmons, he's a huge upgrade offensively, and it's worth the price. They also get a nice piece in TJ Warren, who will be replacing Seth Curry. Danny Green can shift back to the two spot, and TJ Warren can play the three. The Pacers get Simmons and Seth Curry, which means they have three near seven-footers on their team in Simmons, Sabonis, and Miles Turner. Their defense would be amazing, and both Miles and Seth can shoot the three ball exceptionally well. Rick Carlisle would also be a great coach for someone like Ben. He's never really had a good coach in his career, and after finally getting one, I feel that he will succeed. I don't look at Doc Rivers as a great coach in the league. I don't see him as a good coach in the league. I think he's personally an awful coach. And I think Rick Carlisle will really change Ben Simmons' narrative. Now, let's talk about the additions of the 76ers. They got Andre Drummond on a vet minimum. This is more of a prove-yourself signing for Andre Drummond as his stint with the Lakers didn't exactly pan out. And he's looking to regain some value. This was an odd signing to me when I first saw it because what is Philly really going to do with Andre Drummond? He has no post game. He can't stretch the floor. He's a high turnover player, and you sure can't play him at the same time as Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons because then you're just congesting the paint. While he is a great rebounder, I'm not exactly sure what else Philly would use him for. Joel is already a great rebounder himself as he's averaged 12 rebounds per game over his last three years. Again, a very odd signing, but they could get a nice trade out of it come March. It was also a very cheap signing, so nothing to hurt their cast base too badly. Their next new signing was George's Niang. Not much to say about him. He signed a two-year, $6.7 million deal, which is, all again, pretty cheap. 
He's a fantastic three-point shooter who shot about 40% from three. However, he can't do anything else, and he'll have a similar role as he did in Utah. He'll be a great player to complement Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid if he plays. Both of them are pure three-point shooters who can consistently knock down threes and shoot near 40% from three. Danny Green is a great versatile defender, and if he didn't get injured, I would say Philly beats Atlanta just because of his defense on Trey Young. The switches from Ben Simmons to Seth Curry on defense really hurt Philly and ultimately cost them the series, I feel. They also brought back Anthony Tolliver on a vet minimum, which gives them some good depth at the center position, but nothing more than that. He didn't really play much last year, so I guess it's nice just to have an extra center. And finally, they extended Mr. Joel Embiid. He is worth every penny he got from that four-year, $197 million contract. He would have gotten MVP this year had he not missed so much time. He's also entering his prime years, so it's great to have him around for that as well. His dominance on the floor is unmatched, and he can get any shot he wants, anytime he wants. Great job by Philly bringing him back. Now, let's talk about the losses the Philadelphia 76ers had this offseason. Philly didn't lose too many guys, but they did lose Dwight. He was the enforcer of the team, who always got the garbage man buckets, but he'll easily be replaced by Andre Drummond. They also lost Mike Scott and Gary Clark as well, but they didn't really do much for the team, so it's really not that bad of a loss. Nothing new in their coaching hires as well. Everybody else is still around from last season. I'm not a fan of Doc Rivers. I think he should have been fired, but we'll see what he does this year with the team. My overall grade for the Philadelphia 76ers is a C+. They didn't address their needs this offseason, and they're basically in the exact same spot as last season, but they just have a better backup center. I don't really know what they did other than that. Keeping Ben Simmons around wasn't really a great idea in my opinion. He's been having chemistry issues with the team. Doc Rivers isn't too fond of him concerning what he said post-game after the Game 7 loss to Atlanta. Had they done that trade with the Pacers, I would have given them a higher grade, but obviously they did not, so I feel a C-plus is what they deserved. Next up, we're going to talk about the Brooklyn Nets and what they have done this offseason. The Brooklyn Nets didn't have many things they needed to do this offseason. Their main goal was to re-sign their players, and they did just that. They brought back most of their main guys like Blake Griffin and Bruce Brown. Blake Griffin signed a one-year vet minimum to return to the Nets. For those who don't know how much a vet minimum is, it's $2.6 million. He was huge come playoff time. His role changed so much than in previous years. He's become more of a hustle player, uh, if you could say. Diving for loose balls, giving the hard fouls, intensified defense, and setting up other teammates. He's just been such a great role player for the Nets, and especially during their playoff run, he was huge. Bruce Brown also came back on a one-year $4.7 million contract. He was a driving force of the defense last year, and he was an exceptional role player who played his role to perfection. The Nets also gave Kevin Durant a four-year, $198 million contract extension. KD just came off one of his best playoff runs he's ever been a part of, and he's shown that he's able to be that guy when someone else can't. He was crazy efficient this year, and even though he missed half the season, he was still great in every game he played. 
The Nets have now locked up one of their big three and are looking to do the same with Kyrie and James Harden, which I'm sure they'll get to quite soon. The Nets didn't have many additions this offseason. As I said, they brought back most of their guys. However, they did add a few new guys. They signed Patty Mills to a two-year $12 million contract. This is a great signing in my opinion. I absolutely love it. I think he's a great backup point guard. He's a great shooter, good playmaker, very crafty, and a great leader. Being a part of those championship Spurs teams from the early 2010s gives him so much experience in the finals, and it's exactly what the Nets need. They also added a couple of wing defenders in DeAndre Bembry and James Johnson and signed both of them to vet minimums. Two more good signings by the Nets. Adding some good depth and key defensive pieces are exactly what the Nets needed to do, and they did just that. Of course, they did lose some guys, and I'm going to be honest, not a lot of them are very good or really important, with the exception of Jeff Green. Jeff Green is a player I've loved ever since I started watching basketball. To me, he's like a Swiss Army knife. Last season, he played 68 games and averaged 11 points while shooting 41% from three. The points may not be all that amazing, but when you play with three superstars, your scoring output won't be that high. In the playoffs, Jeff Green was absolutely phenomenal. In that game five, when KD dropped a 49-point triple-double, Jeff Green made seven of eight threes and had 27 points. Obviously, if it wasn't for KD, they wouldn't have won, but you could say the same thing about Jeff Green. He was so big in that game. Losing him will hurt the Nets a lot, but if they are a healthy team next year, they should be able to cope without him. The Nets also lost Timothy Luau, Cabarro, Mike James, and Tyler Johnson. The three of them didn't really do much for the Nets. They weren't very important. Mike James was the most effective out of the three, but Patty Mills is certainly an upgrade over him. This is also another really big loss, but this is more from their coaching staff. They lost assistant coach Mike D'Antoni. I'm not sure how Steve Nash will do without his former coach and assistant coach, but a lot of last year's offense was very fast-paced and lots of small ball. Both things Mike D'Antoni was big on. This could hurt Steve Nash's sophomore year coaching, or it could prove to be nothing. Only time will tell. My overall grade for the Nets this offseason is an A-. The fact that they were able to bring back both Blake Griffin and Bruce Brown is just absurd to me. Those two deserve so much more than what they were paid, but props to the Nets for bringing them back. Patty Mills was also a great signing and will show his value behind Kyrie Irving. The reason it's done an A-plus is because of their losses of Jeff Green and Mike D'Antoni. Time will tell how big these losses prove to be, but for now, it's an A-, and it's a fair rating to me. Next up, we have one of my absolute favorite teams in the league, the one of the most electrifying teams in the league, the New York Knicks. All right, let's talk about one of my favorite teams in the league, the New York Knicks. These guys easily had one of, if not the best offseasons in the NBA this season. To start off, they brought back almost everybody from last season. They brought back their best bench player and sixth man of the year finalist, Derrick Rose, and he signed a three-year $43 million contract. I think he wins the award this year and becomes a third player in NBA history to win both MVP and Sixth Man of the Year in their career. Derrick Rose was the best and most consistent player for the Knicks in the playoffs, and bringing him back 
will be crucial come playoff time. He was the only guy who could get a bucket when they needed. They also brought back a couple of dogs in Nerlens Noel and Taj Gibson. Nerlens Noel signed a three-year, $27 million deal, and Taj Gibson signed a two-year, $10 million deal. Both relatively cheap contracts for what they provide. Both of them proved to be key defensive pieces when Mitchell Robinson got hurt and they stepped up to the occasion, especially in the playoffs. Alec Burks was another great player to return to the Knicks. He came back on a three-year, $30 million deal. Burks was a great closer for the Knicks, and he would give them huge games every now and then. Yet another great re-sign by the Knicks. And now... After making the All-NBA second team, Julius Randle got a four-year, $117 million contract. He took a little bit of a pay cut to re-sign the Knicks so they could try and find a marquee free agent. Great decision by Julius Randle. While he didn't have the best playoffs, it was his first time in the playoffs, and he improved each game he played. He just came off the best year of his career. He just won the Most Improved Player Award. He's only gotten better each and every year, and he just seems to keep improving. He will be a cornerstone piece for the Knicks for years to come. Now, hold on. They added a couple of guys, too. Even after all those re-signings, they added two great players, one of which was Evan Fournier, and he was signed to a four-year, $78 million deal. He just came off a career year, and he has also only shown improvement as his career progresses, similar to Julius Randle. Fournier is not only a great vet for the younger guys on the team, he will be a good third or fourth option. His ability to shoot the three ball and create his own shot will help the Knicks a lot. Last season, the Knicks ranked near the bottom of the league in three-pointers made and attempted. They did, however, rank top three in three-point percentage. But Evan Fournier is going to be increasing those attempts and makes this season, which is something the Knicks will look to abuse. And now for my absolute best and favorite signing of the offseason. I don't even think it's close which offseason signing was the best. I, I don't even think it's a debate. This is hands down the best signing of the offseason. Mr. Cardiac Kemba. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Mr. Kemba Walker is coming back home to New York on a two-year, $16 million contract. For someone like Kemba Walker to be signing such a cheap contract, the Knicks can't go wrong with it. He still has potential to be an all-star. He's coming into the season fully healthy, and he has experience being the number one guy on the team. Come back to Charlotte. You go back to UConn. You know, he's been that guy. This has been something the Knicks needed. He can shoot the three ball. He's crafty. He's a good playmaker, and he's a great closer. That's how he got his name, Cardiac Kemba. He only lacks defensive abilities, but Tom Thibodeau and his defensive system will hide the defensive woes. Now, this is the offseason. And you're guaranteed to lose at least one or two players, unless you're the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But the Knicks did lose Reggie Bullock and Alfred Payton this offseason. But Reggie Bullock was really the only important one. He was their best three-point shooter last season, and he was one of the key defensive pieces they had. It will hurt to lose him a little bit, but their new signings will improve other parts of the team, which will overall propel the team to a better position. Overall, I give the Knicks an A-plus for their offseason. They have almost the exact same team as last year and added two new great players. The Evan Fournier was a little bit of an overpay in my opinion, but it's worth it when he can do things that you couldn't do last year. 
It's hard to see them regress with this roster. So I think they're going to be second in the division behind Brooklyn. I think they're going to be better than Philly, Boston, and Toronto. I only have Brooklyn being better because they have three superstars in the team. But I think the Knicks are going to be a great team this season. Coming up next, I'll be talking about the Boston Celtics and their really busy offseason. It was also very confusing. Be right back. The Boston Celtics had a very strange offseason, in my opinion. They started off the offseason by making Brad Stevens the president of basketball operations. As you guys know, Danny Ainge has since stepped down. His first move was trading Kemba Walker, the 16th pick in this year's draft, and a second rounder for Al Horford, Moses Brown, and a future second rounder. The Kemba experiment didn't exactly work out in Boston due to his inability to stay healthy. Boston brings back Al Horford to be their starting center or power forward. And, you know, I'm a big fan of Al Horford. I think his play style will fit well with the Celtics. I think he's a great defender. He can stretch the floor, and he knows how to play his role. The Celtics actually saved $10 million in cap space because in Horford's last season of his contract, only half the money is guaranteed. The Celtics also traded Tristan Thompson as part of a three-team deal, and they got back Chris Dunn, Bruno Fernando, and a second rounder. Chris Dunn has shown potential, uh, especially in his first year, but he's had an injury-riddled career, especially last season with the Hawks. He didn't get to play much. He is a good defender, especially at the guard position, and he could be a good backup point guard. The Celtics also acquired Josh Richardson from the Mavs in exchange for Moses Brown. Richardson has always been known as a 3 and D player, but last season with the Mavericks was a rough one for him. He didn't get much playing time come playoff time, and he was really unreliable and inconsistent from beyond the arc. If he can get back to what he was when he was in Miami, well, this will turn out to be a great trade for Boston. They didn't really have a use for Moses Brown, so this trade gives them more depth at the guard position, and they used the remainder of the trade exception from Gordon Hayward on this trade. Marcus Smart got a four-year, $77 million contract extension, and I love it. He's the heart and soul of that team. He's made countless defensive plays for them. He's become a more reliable scorer. And with each year, he's played his part in Boston to perfection. It will be interesting to see if he continues to play shooting guard or if he's moved to the point guard position with the new addition of Dennis Schroeder. Dennis Schroeder signed a one-year $5.9 million contract with the Celtics after missing out on a four-year $84 million contract extension with the LA Lakers. I think we all know he definitely should have taken the LA Laker deal, but this is where betting on yourself did not did not pan out. While Dennis may have had a rough playoffs with the Lakers, he can be a great sixth man for the Celtics or be their starting point guard. He's shown he's capable of being a great facilitator on the court. He can score the ball, he can get to the rim, and he's a good on-ball defender. Off the ball, he's pretty bad, I will say that. But on-ball defender, he looks pretty good. I think this was a great signing for the Celtics and one of the best this offseason. The Seas also managed to give Robert Williams a four-year, $54 million contract extension. This man is a defensive monster. He's one of the best rim protectors in the league, and this dude's potential is sky high. He's still working on his offensive game, but his defense is top-notch, and the Celtics will be looking for that this year. And the exact opposite of Robert Williams came to Boston as well. Ennis Cantor is returning to Boston for his second stint with the Celtics. Everyone knows how bad he is on defense. I hate watching him play defense, but he's a good backup center off the bench. He 
He's a good rebounder along with a good pick-and-roll partner. His big frame helps him get into the paint, and he gets easy second-chance points. Boston did lose a couple of guys this offseason, but they didn't really do much for them. Evan Fournier went to the Knicks. His time with Boston didn't really work out, and Boston didn't lose that much for him. It was just two second-rounders, so it's not really that bad of a loss. Semi Ojale also left to Milwaukee, but he wasn't really a very big part of the rotation, so again, not a very big loss. My overall grade for the Celtics this offseason is a C+. They got rid of Kemba Walker and his contract, which was good, and they signed Dennis Schroeder to a great deal, but I'm not sure how well Al Horford is going to prove to be. He's very old, and he's owed lots of money, so it will be a tough contract to swallow if it doesn't pan out. I also feel Marcus Smart got a little bit too much money. I think he deserved more of a four-year, $64 million deal. That's about $16 million a year, whereas he's getting $19.25 million a year right now. He's been a liability on offense every now and then, and that's hurt the Celtics and cost the games. The Josh Richardson move can be either really good or really bad, but I'm not liking it too much considering he's going to be playing behind Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart, and Dennis Schroeder a lot. Boston didn't do much to improve their team. They got better from last year when you look at the roster on paper, but when the time comes to play on the court, I don't see the team being able to fit so well, and so for those reasons, I give them a C+. And now... After saving the best team for last, my home team, the Toronto Raptors. <sighs> this season was filled with nothing but disappointment for my Toronto Raptors. We missed out on a few free agents such as Jared Allen, Sean Holmes, and Andre Drummond. We needed a shot-blocking center who could rebound, and we just couldn't get him. Instead, we added a few guys that are almost no-names. Sam Decker was our first offseason signing, and the only thing he's known for is his shacks in a full moment when he fell on a wide-open fast break. We also signed Isaac Bonga. He isn't horrible. He's got potential. He's a good defender, but he can't do anything on offense, and he's virtually non-existent there. I doubt either of these guys will be a part of the rotation all that much. The Raps also got Precious Achua and Goran Dragic in the Lowry signing trade. Precious is a good young talent who can develop into someone like Rashawn Holmes or a DeAndre Jordan type player. Dragic does not want to play in Toronto and it looks like he's going to be traded, but if he does decide to stay, I could see him being a great sixth man as long as he stays healthy. He's had injury problems his whole career and they will always linger, but a reduced role will lessen the chance of him getting injured. The Raps brought back Cam Birch as well and he signed a three-year $20 million deal. I think this was a great signing because he showed last year how good he just was. He was our best offensive rebounder. He chased every ball and he started shooting threes and he played good defense. Love the signing by the Raps. And the biggest signing we had this offseason was Gary Trent Jr. And he signed a three-year, $54 million deal. And boy, am I happy he stayed. We got Trent in the Norman Powell trade and the fact that he resigned makes us win this trade. We got a younger player and a better player in my opinion. Gary Trent has always been evolving as a player, and he started to add new things to his game. He came into the league as a knockdown three-point shooter and a good defender, and he's still all that, but he has a much better handle now, and he started to become more of a facilitator. While I do feel it was a slight overpay, we are paying for his future, so as long as he improves, it will remain a good signing. Now talking about management, Masai Ujiri also decided to stay with us. The man who pulled off the Kawhi trade is staying with the Toronto Raptors, everybody. I do think he is a slightly overrated GM, but 
he is one of the best in the league, and it is sure nice to have him on our team. Now, as a Raptors fan, we all know and love our dear Kyle Lowry. He unfortunately moved off from the Raptors this season and took his talents to South Beach. This one hurt the most. In fact, I even shed a tear when I first heard the news. I wanted to cry. It was it just hurt. The Raps also lost DeAndre Bembry, Rodney Hood, Paul Watson Jr., and Aaron Baines. All four of those guys didn't really do much for our franchise, so best of luck to them on their future endeavors. Well, everyone, that about sums it up. Very busy times around the Atlantic Division. Some teams got better, some teams got worse, but we won't know who is the best till the end of the season. And now for my hot take to end the episode. The Boston Celtics will not make the playoffs. You heard me. I see them finishing last in the division this year, especially after what happened last year, finishing 36 and 36. Tune in next week to hear me review the Central Division's offseason. See ya. Thank you for listening to the Tony's Takes podcast. Be sure to follow on all social media at Tony's Takes underscore.